Hello, my name is Ben and welcome to Field & Foley episode 4. My guest today is Emily E. Mio, I hope I pronounced that right. Um, so please join us for a conversation with Emily, a skilled musician, sound designer and composer, currently lending her talents to the team at Arcane Studios Austin. Her portfolio includes working on video games such as Transformers Rise of the Dark Spark and the upcoming open-world immersive vampire shooter Redfall, which I'm excited about. And Emily's dedication to her craft is truly remarkable because she documented her daily sound recording practices on Twitter for, I think, over 1,000 days now consecutive. Um, so, Emily, first of all, thank you for taking the time to talk to me. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm very excited to be here. So let me ask you right out of the gate, what led you to start the practice of the daily recording and posting it? Well, um, that's... Uh I don't know that it's like a good story because it has a little bit of a depressing start. Uh, but now that I have, you know, over a thousand days under my belt, uh, now I can feel good about it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so uh, in March 2020, at the beginning of March 2020, I was working at a casino game company. I had been working there for a few years um, and I was working there as a composer and sound designer. Um, at that point, I was applying to other jobs. Uh, I really wanted to be in AAA games. Uh, but, you know, it, I just... Those jobs aren't the easiest to come by. Yeah. Um, so I was just kind of, you know, doing my best, working my day job, doing side projects, and keeping an eye out for any openings. And then, obviously, the pandemic hit. And you see... Uh, Every specialized in casino games that uh, were, were physical, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. So not like the, the apps or the online stuff. There was a little bit of that, but most of our work uh, was meant for physical machines. And so when the casinos started closing down, the company panicked, um, understandably so. And uh, long story short, I was laid off. And when it happened... Um, all, you know, it was a kind of a, a scary time, not just with the layoff, but with the pandemic, uh, I was stuck at home and, uh, you know, I, di I didn't have access to my usual, um, you know, in-person, in-person networking opportunities mm -hmm. that I would usually have. Um, and also I have ADHD, uh, which leads to, uh, you know, forgetfulness and, um, lack of executive function um and so i was just like oh my gosh without the structure of a job what am i gonna do <laughs> <laughs> okay uh, i like i because you know hunting for new jobs and updating demo reels like that that's a lot of work and i was really worried that um without the structure of a regular work day that i just wouldn't get anything done and so on april 1st i did my very first daily recording. And I started doing that because, um, well, for, for several reasons. But at the time, the biggest reason was 
if I can just commit to doing this one thing every day, then I will have been productive because that will be mm-hmm. one new sound that is now in my library. Um, and another reason that I, I like, I had kind of like had the idea to do this in the back of my head for a while because uh, I really wanted to, as a sound designer, I wanted to rely more on my own recordings. And I was just having trouble uh, scheduling in time to to even make them. Um, I had an idea for a while, like, oh, I'll pick like one day a month to be like my recording day. And I'll just take that whole day and just record a bunch of stuff and put that in a library and it'll be great. And um, committing a whole day is actually really hard mm-hmm. um, with at, at least with, with my schedule or even committing like several hours, like a, a four hour block to do something like that that's actually really hard that's actually really hard for me it is a lot easier for me to commit to a more consistent little thing Mm -hmm. than it is for me to commit to a less consistent but very big very inconvenient thing (laughs) oh i can i can definitely relate to that um I, I always uh, have the fear of like uh, taking big chunks, like like you said, like four hour, four hour chunks uh, out of a day. And even if it's once a week, you have this, this big responsibility. You have to make uh, your plans mm-hmm. accordingly. And the little things is also what helped me with like with different uh, th- things like sport or uh, learning a new instrument, just doing five minutes every day. And um, then you see progress. So I can totally relate to that. So that... Probably answers then why you recorded your first sound. Was it your first recording or did you do sound recording before you started with that? So it's actually kind of funny. I had a, um, I kind of had like a a false daily recording start, although I don't remember if I was posting it to Twitter. Maybe I was. Uh, So before I got laid off, uh, well, it was a furlough first and then I got laid off, but uh, we don't have to get into that. Mm-hmm. Um, before that happened, uh, everybody at um, the company I worked at, Every, was told to start working from home. There was a day where we went into the office and everyone was like, all right, pack up your computers, go home with them. We're going to figure out this work from home thing until mm-hmm. this whole pandemic thing blows over. Uh, so that was that was a big... Um, that was a, a very big, uh, very inconvenient thing to happen because, you know, I have my home studio, right? And mm-hmm. I had a whole separate studio at Every, and suddenly I had to, like, figure out how to have two studios in my house. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, I think what I ended up doing is I broke down my personal studio and I set it up in the living room, and then I put my Every studio stuff in, in my office Um, and when I was working from home, I was like, oh, well, you know, a cool thing that I could do seeing as I'm here and not in like a relatively noisy or office building is I could, uh, record a thing every day and just like kind of incorporate that into part of my work day. And I did that for maybe like four days. Uh, it was never meant to be like daily as in Mm -hmm. literally every day but like every work day. And so I did that for like four, five days, maybe a week. Uh, And then we got laid off. (laughs) Uh, So 
I, I took like a little bit of time after getting laid off to just like, you know, recover from the, the shell shock of it all. Just kind of, you know, uh, let my body get used to the idea of it. And then on April 1st, that was kind of like my, all right, I need to stop laying around being sad and, and start working towards whatever my next thing is going to be. And so that's why the daily recording started on April 1st, but they kind of had a, a false start before that. I see, right. And uh, do you maybe remember by chance what your first sound was, what you recorded? Um, for, for the daily recording or like first sound well, overall, ever? First sound ever. So Ooh, that's a good question. Yeah. Um, let's see. So the first time I did sound design was in my senior year of college. I was a music major. My major was classical composition, which is obviously a very um, distinct, different <laughs> field yeah. uh, than sound design. But I was working on some student games and it was kind of like, okay, well, we need you to do all the audio, <laughs> not just music. And yeah. so recording for those would have been the first sounds that I ever recorded. And I do, I'm not sure that I remember the first thing I recorded for the purposes of sound design, but I had a little USB mic that I used for recording like, uh, very um, DIY little music covers. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I used, I used that. It was a, you know, just like a USB AT 2020. Um, and I remember like the kinds of things I recorded, but I can't remember like what was actually first. Um, I recorded like uh, spaghetti, like squishing spaghetti. <laughs> nice. um, I, I had like one, <laughs> Uh, one student project where they told me that they wanted the sound that um, that a cat makes when you drop it and it lands on all fours. So <laughs> very specific. I like mm -hmm. very specific. So mm -hmm. I like drove over to my parents' house because um, I was at UT and I grew up in Austin, so they were very close by. And I like recorded myself. Uh, Dropping the family cat from a from a safe distance. Yeah, yeah, of course. Of course. I mean, they land on their feet, right? Yeah, yeah. And did it sound good? Or was it like one of those moments where you record something and you're disappointed a bit because it's just not what you expect to hear when you don't have the image to it? Well, I think it sounded on its own. It sounded fine. Um, <laughs> but also, like, when I was just starting, you know, recording and designing sounds... Uh, so much of getting good at that stuff is developing your critical ear and developing your own taste. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like I'm not very qualified to answer that question of whether it was a good recording or not, because I know for a fact that I did not have a good critical ear back then. <laughs> I did not have, have taste because I was still learning, you know, that I think that's a, yeah, sure. a normal condition for me to have been in. But yeah, like I don't, I don't think any of the sounds I was making back then were any good. <laughs> I mean, it's it's always there's always a start, and also there's always I think um, there, there's always some kind of uh, maybe emotional attachment to a project if you do it yourself. And I think even if you think back and think, oh, maybe that wasn't good, um, maybe it wasn't that bad. Um, I, I think we tend to think about our 
first sounds as very horrible. Um, it's the same for me. And I, I recently used the sound from like my starting days in a project and was like, oh man, that's perfect. Where, where did I get that from? And I um, <laughs> just awesome. found out, yeah, it was like a really shitty recording uh, or like not that shitty, but it's, it was just like the right noise for that kind of thing. So mm -hmm. uh, I think there's, um, maybe it's just, it's just my opinion, but I think there's not, nothing really like a wrong sound or like a too shitty sound, because even if it's a lot of noise, um, at some point you're gonna need something that's very lo-fi or that sounds broken. You can always, mm -hmm. I think, do something with it. And but that's interesting that you that you mentioned you studied uh, more the classical music because that's essentially, or at least in, in my experience, the opposite. You don't want any noise. You want clear orchestral recordings. And oh yeah, it's like I wouldn't say the opposite, but it's like very different worlds. So how did you come from? the composition then to the sound design? Was it this first project where you were involved in the recording or was it like always the plan? Uh, it was definitely not always the plan. So, mm -hmm. uh, well, my plan was always to be in game audio. Um, okay. And when I was younger, I had some very uh, specific and incorrect ideas about what that path <laughs> actually looks like. You see, I was, I was one of those uh, teenagers that was exposed to um, a lot of JRPGs, mm -hmm. a lot of Nobuo Uematsu, um, Final Fantasy stuff. And I was really into like, you know, the big moving orchestral arrangements of mm -hmm. like Eris's theme, um, you know, things like that. Uh, and that. And that's what I thought that I wanted to do. Um, and I, I mean, I still like doing that stuff, of course. But uh, the older I got, the more I learned about the industry, the more I learned about um, what the career paths actually looked like. Um, and also, like, the more I learned about uh, my my own personal patience for music academia. <laughs> <laughs> um, the more I was kind of like, okay, well, game audio is still the plan, but I'm going to need to adjust. And so... Uh, I think it's a really common story for game composers to, or aspiring game composers anyway, uh, to either uh, switch to sound design or add sound design as a skill set because they think that it will land them more work. Um, that is essentially what happened to me, and I think that uh, it's really lucky for me that I like sound design. <laughs> I really enjoy it. Um, because I have met other people who have kind of been in my situation. You know, they came out of a, of a music background mm -hmm. and then they took a look at what the job situation was like and they were like, oh, I should learn sound design too. And then they hated it or they just weren't into it. Uh, it was yeah. just something that they put up with. Um, things like that. Uh, but for me, uh, I actually really like sound design. And, um, and something that I've actually been thinking about a lot, uh, you said earlier that oh well you know classical music that is very different and it is different you're not wrong but mm -hmm. something that I have found to be really similar um or at least I'm, I'm kind of like trying to think of them in the same ways uh right now I'm, I'm trying to kind of get back into uh orchestration just in my free time 
because I haven't done it since college. I feel really rusty. Um, and I also kind of feel like MIDI orchestration in particular has always been a weakness of mine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as I study these things, uh, I'm actually finding that it's a lot easier for me to come back to orchestration now that I've done a bunch of sound design. Oh, that's interesting. Because, Can you go you know, more into what, specifics? Yeah, that, that would be... I don't know that I have specifics so much as I just have, like, theory. Because a lot of my, mm-hmm. my personal orchestration study has been, like, it's been on and off. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually had a really busy month, so I haven't, I haven't done it in a little while. Um, but I frequently think, um, if you're thinking about, like, how to build up, like, a string chord, I, now I just, I ha- always think of it in terms of, like, how to build, say... I don't know, a gunshot because yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you're kind of, so you got your bass and your cellos and you got your violas and you got your violins and you want to, um, take all five of those and balance them into something pleasing Mm -hmm. and each layer. And obviously there's some crossover, but each layer is occupying a different, um, a different part of the frequency spectrum. And you're taking all those layers and you're turning them into something pleasing. And that's just sound design, you know? Yeah. Orchestration is just sound design, but for orchestras. And uh, and I really wish that um, that I had started learning sound design earlier because I think that perspective would have really helped me back when I was in school. Hmm. Okay. That's a very interesting point of view. I've never heard that before, the connection between between the two like composing a sound it's just like composing a, a orchestral piece but it, it's it makes sense I, I should get into orchestral composing because i i can only do sound design the only music i can do is um, more noise but um yeah that's <laughs> that's, that's cool, a very though. interesting yeah, yeah i mean sure I, it's it's fun it's just a hobby but um that's very interesting i've never thought about orchestration um in the same or like with the same approach because the sound design approach totally makes sense to me it's like like you said, with a gunshot, you have like the lows and you have like maybe a high sound, especially for mm-hmm. sci-fi weapons. You have so many um, different sounds in different frequency ranges that you need yeah. to balance. And, there's usually um, like a mechanical yeah. layer and then there's mm-hmm. like the part that's just noise, no bass. But then you, you do have that bass in there yeah. as well. Um, and, and you, you know, blend them together until you get something that sounds pleasing. Yeah. That's yeah, just absolutely. orchestration. <laughs> yeah. Very, very good to know. Um, yeah. So... Um, yeah, after you you decided to go into that into that path of also doing sound design or maybe mainly doing sound design, um, what was your experience like getting into the overall game audio community and getting hired? Was it mm-hmm. was it like easy, hard, interesting? Do you maybe have anything? It was uh, parts of it. Okay, so it, I, I'm gonna go with in- interesting mm-hmm. as as my answer because parts of it were definitely really really difficult, um, but. Uh, but I feel like I have been really lucky, um, in my path. I've had some very lucky breaks. So I graduated from college with, um, with my degree and a few student games under my belt and, um, throughout college and also immediately after college, I was working at a restaurant to pay the bills. Mm. I was, uh, I served food. I was a hostess. Uh, I was a delivery driver, Um, I pretty much just like did a bunch of different jobs at this one restaurant and I really hated it. (laughs) I had a really bad time there. Um, but shortly after I graduated, uh, they 
the restaurant asked me to come in on my day off to deliver a big um, food order. And I told them like, hey, I, I really don't want to come in on my day off. Can you get somebody else to do it? And they were like, no, Emily, we can't. But the delivery is to a game studio. And <laughs> you, you're into games, right? And I was like, yeah, you're right. I am into games. Okay, fine. I'll do it. And uh, I delivered food to a studio called Edge of Reality, um, which I had never heard of. But at the time, unbeknownst to me, they were working on Transformers Rise of the Dark Spark. And they were getting really, really close to launch. And they were crunching really hard. <laughs> and they only had one audio person. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, and they weren't even only working on the Transformers game. They were also working on their original IP, Loadout. So they had one audio person for two games. Yeah, that's harsh. And I, I didn't know that at the time when I delivered the food. But when I did deliver the food, um, you know, I had never been inside a, a AAA studio before. I saw that they had, you know, framed copies of the games that they had worked on on the wall, mm -hmm. uh, framed magazine articles about their games. I was starstruck. I was like 22. I was, I was you know, I had never really been as, as close to a game studio as I had in that moment. And, um, and I did something very stupid when the... When the producer was signing off for the food, I asked them if they happened to be hiring for any audio positions. Mm -hmm. uh, like, I now mentor kids from the University of Texas, um, which is also where I went. And I always tell them the story. And I always tell them, don't do that. Because <laughs> that could have that gone really badly. Um, there's uh, not a very, like, the, the culture of service industry in America and how service industry workers are treated, it's pretty bad. Um, okay. Like, this person could have complained to the restaurant, and um, I could have lost my job. Uh, yeah, but they didn't do sense. that. Instead, uh, they uh, he gave me his business card, and he was <laughs> like, well, maybe. Uh, send me your resume. I'll pass it along, and we'll see. And I started working there a month later. <laughs> that's that's awesome. Fortune favors the brave. Uh, yeah, I mean, say, right? I, I guess so. <laughs> But it was uh, a very brief contract. I was just providing extra help until mm -hmm. they could launch Transformers Rise of the Dark Spark. So I was only there for a few months. Yeah. But in that few months, uh, I had a really great experience. I worked with Scott Schneider. Uh, he was fantastic. I feel like I owe him my entire career because he was willing to take a chance on me. And... Um, And I mostly did um, like implementation stuff, um, like audio related QA, fixing bugs, just like things that he just did not have time to do. And um, and over the course of my time there, I would watch Scott work and I, I learned the things that he was expected to know, the skills that he was expected to have. And I didn't have those skills, you know, I could tell. Mm -hmm. So when my contract ended, I took a year off from trying to get work to uh, go back to school. I went to Austin Community College here in town. They actually have... Uh, so Austin is like the live music capital of the world. Mm -hmm. This is what we call ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, and our uh, community college actually has a really good uh, music tech and business program. So for a year, I took classes on audio engineering 
and uh, working with MIDI and synthesis. Uh, I took classes in live sound. I took a programming class. I took a game design class. I, I just like took a year to really immerse myself um, in the in the skills that I would actually need to build and, and sustain a career. And in addition to that, um, I also took online classes with the School of Video Game Audio that Leonard Paul runs. Uh, I took his WISE class, and um, that was like the first time that I had ever worked uh, with with like implementation middleware. I didn't even know mm -hmm. that that existed in college because, um, you know, just at the time, now you can look at a lot of college programs and it's not unusual for there to be some kind of class in game audio that involves WISE. But uh, back when I was in school, that just was not a thing yet. So I just like took that year where I... <laughs> worked myself to death it feels like I was I was so busy that year because I was also working I was I had like went back to doing restaurant work in the middle of all of this so if I wasn't in class I was at work and if I wasn't at work I was in class and if I was at either of those I was sleeping <laughs> yeah every every chance to get yeah it was oh, a, it was a tough year but then at the end of it um it, it's actually really funny at, at the end of it um I was like, okay, I'm going to start looking for jobs um, full-time in game audio. But before I do, I've had a really hard year, and I'm going to give myself a few days off to just, like, breathe and hang out at home and, like, play some video games and just, like, relax mm -hmm. before I begin this next part of my life. And so what happened is that I woke up on the first day after finishing school, and I had a Indeed notification that every the casino game company had was hiring <laughs> and the job description uh, looked perfect for someone entry level like I was. And I was like, never mind. I cannot relax. I need to make a website <laughs> so that I can ap apply to this job. And that's exactly what I did. Yeah. And, um, and I got the job and I worked at every for five years until the pandemic hit. <laughs> oh man, that's, yeah, very perseverant. Uh, so yeah, I, I say, I say you earned it. Um, that's a, a interesting way of going into the industry. Um, so when you were at that point where you, where you noticed you, you hadn't quite had the skill set yet and stuff was missing. Can you maybe talk a little bit about what you struggled with the most, um, maybe what area or what kind of stuff um, in specific and how you overcome it? Was it just like, okay, I just have to learn all the tools and all those processes or was it more like um, I can do that, but I can't do that? Is there some, was there some kind of focus to that or was it just like broad overall, I just need all that knowledge, give me all it? That's a really good question. Hmm. So... When I started going into the implementation, like actually studying how it worked, that came pretty easily to me um, mm -hmm. because a lot of it was just like following instruction. And up to that point, uh, even though um, even though I said that my time in school didn't really teach me much in terms of like game audio implementation, I did study interactive music in school. Mm -hmm. um, not that I took a class. This was kind of on my own, but I did like, I wrote papers about interactive music in video games specifically. So like I understood the theory 
And so when I started when I started learning wise, I was like, oh, great. I knew the theory and now I can put it into practice. Um, and I found that part to be very easy. I would actually say that um, the thing that was the hardest for me was, uh, I guess, uh, general production shops. Uh, because I came from a classical background. Uh, for much of my time in school, I was exclusively using uh, notation software to make my music as opposed to a DAW. And so, mm-hmm. because the expectation would be that I would hand off the piece of music to live performers. So it didn't matter if all I had to show for a thing I had written was like the terrible MIDI file that Sibelius would spit out. Like <laughs> that, that didn't matter so much because I wasn't getting graded on that. I just wasn't thinking about that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really wish that I was. <laughs> I, I really wish that I had um, started with learning a DAW much sooner. Um, but I did learn uh, how to use Cubase, Cubase mm-hmm. specifically, when I was in school, and I learned like the basics. But um, like production and how to orchestrate for MIDI. I didn't learn that stuff. That's all stuff that I had to learn after, um, after getting my undergraduate degree. And now I have like really complicated feelings about my time in school, because on the one hand, um, I kind of feel like I learned a lot of stuff that, uh, I am absolutely not using in my job now. Uh, but at the same time, I always think like, oh, but if I hadn't been working at exactly the right Italian restaurant job, <laughs> then I wouldn't have ever gotten my first gig at Edge of Reality. So if I had changed some uh, some aspect of my schooling, uh, what if that had affected the job I had? Or what if that meant that I just didn't work uh, because... Uh, I was very lucky in that working was an optional thing for me, not a required thing for me. Um, you know, I, I, I think about the ways that my path could have diverged even a little bit to make me not arrive at edge of reality on the exact day that they happened to to need me, you know? like. So, I don't know, maybe maybe it all worked out in the end, but... <laughs> Uh, but it, I do. It sure sounds like it. Yeah. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> but I, I just feel like the the biggest hurdle that I had to get over was just uh, getting my production chops up to speed, and that includes like in terms of making uh, good sounds. Um, but that also applies to music production. Um, like a, a big part of my job these days has been mixing music. And, um, and I'm really glad that I have those skills now, but they were, they were hard earned because I, I didn't get that in my degree at all. I had to learn it all after the fact. Yeah, that's, that's certainly also like a different beast at all. I mean, um, it's always interesting if, if people ask me when I, when I tell them I'm, I'm working in game audio, um, there's sometimes when we, when you start talk about specifics, they start to realize that there are so many different jobs. I mean, there's 
as you said, like music mixing is different mm -hmm. than maybe, for example, uh, also audio mixing, like doing it in, in Wise and programming your mixing, like doing yes. dynamic mixing. That's uh -huh. also a completely different area that I'm uh, certainly lacking at, at the moment, but I'm looking <laughs> into. But um, there are so many different areas, but they are overlapping at so many corners. And yeah. so it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, they, I think they really it's, are. yeah, it, I think it's easy to fall into the trap that you want or have to do everything, but also it's kind of a cool thing to have because you, you always can connect some part you already learned with, with a new area. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, that's very interesting because as you had said, yeah, you are, you already had that classical musical training and you, you learned and earned that mixing and now, um, yeah, you can also do music mixing instead of just sound design. That's, yeah, yeah that's and a plus. I've, I've always found that, um, like, I, I always, maybe this is uh, a thing that also affects, like, my orchestration and sound design comparison earlier. I've always found that the better I get at sound design, uh, that also feeds into me getting better at music production and also vice versa. Yeah. Um, because, you know, a lot of them are using uh, not always the same plugins, but... You know, getting better yeah. at, you know, getting my head around compression, that yeah. that's going to help both my, th my sound design and my music. And um, I've been very lucky in that for most, much of my career, I've been able to do uh, both. Um, not, not that I'm composing at Arcane, but uh, we have, you know, a pretty small audio team. And that means I get to wear a lot of hats, mm -hmm. I get to do sound design, I get to work on music stuff. I get to implement um, a lot of things. Uh, so, you know, I, I like I like that uh, I get to do a lot of different things instead of just sticking to one thing. Um, maybe part of that is just my ADHD. But uh, I always think of, you know, bigger studios uh, that have, like, really big audio departments. Uh, suddenly the roles start getting a lot more um, granular, right? Mm -hmm. Like they'll have somebody who specializes in just music, somebody who specializes in just implementation. Um, but it, it's, it's nice to have, you know, options and different things. And it's not just the same thing every day. Yeah, I can totally relate to that. I, I just finished for a, for a project that was... I'm working on for a game. I just finished like a short uh, video sequence, and it was really refreshing to do something linear for once, <laughs> because oh, then nice. you can use not not a lot of mono sounds, just like mm -hmm. a nice linear thing, and it was something different and like different to work on. And um, yeah, I, I thought I thought about the same thing because there's always also for me the possibility to do some ambient music or something in games because that kind of overlaps with is that music or is that sound design. So mm -hmm. you always have those yeah those different areas where you can explore and so I, I feel like at least for me the job is always interesting because there's always something new to do um, maybe I go into 3D sound next there's VR to think about and there's so many areas you can explore and can go to that's totally yeah, absolutely um, yeah coming a bit back to the topic of recording sounds um, for for usage in sound design or, or for usage and whatever um, can you tell me a little bit about your process? Do you find like interesting sounds and then just build the library and use it? Or do you have like an approach where you go at it with a certain goal and you want to have this sound and record stuff for it and use that? Sure. That's a really good question. Uh, I'd say that, uh, so because I record every day, 
Um, I don't often... I mean, there are exceptions, of course, but Mm -hmm. because I record every day, uh, sometimes I do not have a goal and it's 11 p.m. and I grab... (laughs) something off my desk and I'm like if I if I hit this with a mallet that makes sound right that counts I'm thinking Other- about the cat now yeah <laughs> yeah the cat toy <laughs> the cat toy yes um other times uh other times I'm like okay so for this week um I bought a new microphone or I'm trying a new microphone setup and I'm just going to do like test recordings. Mm -hmm. These recordings might not even end up in my library, but I'm going to do some recording. I'm going to listen back or maybe I'm going to do a comparison between two microphones, um, something like that. Or um, uh, I'm in like a a field recording community that I believe you are in too now (laughs) uh, where they do like themed crowdsourced libraries. So sometimes I'll be like, okay, so for this week, I'm going to do recordings for that specifically. And that will have a certain theme, uh, like magic or sci-fi or horror, uh, something along those lines. Um, sometimes it will be like, sometimes I'll have like a specific object or set of objects that I want to focus on for like a given week or a given set of days. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it just kind of depends uh, but the nice thing about being in like a constant state of recording is that um, it really takes a lot of the pressure off. You know, not every recording is going to be a winner and they don't have to be. And so that means that I can just there are days when I'm just trying stuff. There are days where I'm just like putting a contact mic on my oven and <laughs> seeing if there's anything good in there. <laughs> Good and idea. sometimes there is and sometimes yeah. there isn't. Uh, but at least I will have tried. And even uh, even a bad recording, at least I will have learned something. That's that's a good idea. I just noted down that I have to put the contact mic on my oven because I haven't think, thought about that yet. So thanks for the inspiration. <laughs> I'm ha- um, happy to help. And actually... Yeah. Uh, contact mic uh, on everything. It's contact. Yeah, yeah. I, I've had mixed results with the contact mic, but actually I've had really good results with the contact mic on the oven. It sounds like a, a cool factory ambience. Oh, looking Although forward it might, to that. It might depend on the contact mic. I, yeah. I have a and the oven. Geophone. <laughs> and the oven too. Yes, that's true. <laughs> Yeah, um, maybe on that topic, because um, as you said, not every sound is a winner, and I, I certainly know that feeling. Um, but there's something, uh, some, sometimes there's also like the surprises where you set out to do something and you think maybe it would take me half a day or a couple of days to find the right sound, and then you just get it right away. Do mm-hmm. you can, can you think of any sound that was way easier to capture or make than you thought at first? Um, hmm. Or maybe also the opposite, something that you thought maybe, yeah, that's a five-minute job, and then one week later you're like, I don't know how to do that. Everything <laughs> sounds terrible. That's a that's a good question. Um, hmm. I, I don't know if this is like a perfect match for what you asked, but uh, once... Uh, so before I lived in the house that I live in now... Uh, I lived out in the Texas hill country, a very like woodsy area, and there was a creek in the backyard. And um, and I invited actually a fellow field recordist and uh, game audio uh, developer, Danny Oberly. She is a 
last I checked, she was over at Bioware. And so I invited her over. She brought some mics and uh, we were doing, um, well, we recorded a lot of things. We recorded footsteps and birds and it was a lot of fun. But I remember like the, the best sound that we got that I really just did not expect to find is we found this like a uh, sort of silt mud deposit near the creek where we got some like absolutely grotesque (laughs) (laughs) muddy foot footsteps they were so like squishy and gross sounding and i did not expect to find them there i was expecting like some very like run-of-the-mill recordings i mean you know decent recordings but i but everything everything else we got was like expected but then i was just like oh my gosh (laughs) a treasure this disgusting sound has been in my backyard this whole time (laughs) i didn't know this (laughs) yeah that's 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 a really nice story yeah i I have those things too where i sometimes go out with yeah just doing some wood recordings and then you find that that one perfect like river or creek or something Mm -hmm. and uh, yeah it's always interesting to have those surprises yeah, um, I, like yeah. Uh, another story that's like uh, kind of kind of similar was, um, gosh, I, I was traveling with my family. Like I was with my parents. I don't remember what this trip was. Uh, I guess maybe we were visiting other family. That's the only thing I could think of. Um, but I was traveling with them and I had my Zoom with me because I was, you know, at the time this was... Uh, still daily recording and I found like a really really squeaky um, like uh, oh gosh why am I like a sink handle Mm, in in Mm. one of the airport bathrooms (laughs) and it was like a bathroom that nobody else was using and it was like off to the side and I was like okay I really need to record this right now I like I had left my luggage with my family, so I like went back to my family. I got my Zoom, and I was like, I got to record this thing real quick. And they were like, do you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> right now? And I was like, yes. <laughs> there was a really good squeak. It was really, really good. <laughs> yeah, I, I know that kind of conversations. It's always fun. The, the, yeah, the looks you get. It's it's that mm-hmm. one specific squeak I've been looking for. <laughs> yeah, but you know, no, no. If anybody else had been like in the area, I wouldn't have tried to do it. But sure, it was uh, perfect. There was nobody else, yeah. so yeah. I was like, I got to take my chance. Absolutely, got to go yeah. for it now. <laughs> no other noises, no people around. That's perfect. Yeah. 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 Maybe also connecting on that. Um, do you have something that you always wanted to record but didn't have the chance yet? Maybe a place or maybe something that you didn't find yet. Oh, okay. Um, let's see. Um, so I can't I can't think of something presently, but I do have a good one in that vein, um, because in the end I did get the sound, um, and this was recent that it was a, a recent moment that I was able to get the sound. But before that, I was like, oh, I I, I should have gone for it then, but I didn't. Mm-hmm. So um, so I live in Texas, and in the past few years, Texas has had some uh, pretty hairy. Uh, winter storm incidents. Uh, it, it's not so much that it's like, oh, we get so much snow compared to, say, a city like Chicago or New York, um, somewhere in the north that is used to snow. Um, 
when it snows in Texas, even if it snows only a little bit, uh, it kind of shuts everything down because uh, we're not used to it. We don't yeah. really have the infrastructure to deal with it. And we had a particularly nasty winter storm in February 2021 where uh, people lost power for like a week. Eventually, we all lost running water. Um, and the roads were so built up with ice that nobody could go anywhere. Uh, I knew people that were like stuck in their houses with no power and like barely any food. Uh, like a lot of people died actually. It was really, uh, yeah, it was actually a very bad thing that happened. Uh, we were okay. Uh, we actually never lost power, although we did lose water and we also couldn't leave. Uh, but there was ice everywhere and kind of towards the beginning of the week when I was, um, you know, we, we didn't really understand the scale of the damage mm-hmm. yet. As the week went on, um, it got harder and harder to maintain an enthusiasm about about recording good sounds. But of course, at the time, I was like, like towards the beginning of the week, I was like, oh my God, look at all the snow and ice everywhere. We don't usually have this. Uh, I need to record a bunch of snow and ice stuff. Yeah. And and I did. Um, I did record quite a bit of snow and ice stuff. However, uh, one of my neighbors had a uh, crepe myrtle tree, um, which is like a, a sort of like a, a thin tree. Uh, and um, it was coated in ice. And as, um, as it was uh, swaying in the wind... Uh, it would give off this like really dry crackle that had like a really nice mm. character mm-hmm. to it. And um, and I was recording a lot of things that week. But I remember like seeing that crepe myrtle and hearing it and being like, oh, that's really nice. I should take some time to record it. And then as the week went on and, um, you know, we started losing water and I was like filling the bathtub up with snow and... <laughs> And we were, like, figuring out, like, how to use as little power as possible. And as it, as it went on, um, I was too sad <laughs> to... Mm. I mean, I was able to record, like, little things here and there because I was still doing, like, you know, I had to do my daily recordings. Sure, um, yeah. But, yeah, I, I never... Ju- I just never got around to recording that crate Myrtle. And I was just like, oh, well, you know, maybe the next time there is a big winter infrastructure disaster uh maybe i will record the crepe myrtle then and then this year (laughs) we it wasn't as bad as the um 2021 winter storm but yeah in the uh like mid-february we had another pretty bad one where we did actually lose power we didn't lose water this time at least but as soon as i saw that frozen crepe myrtle i was like now's my chance now's my chance now (laughs) Yeah, take it. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, I don't know when the next one of these is coming. Um, so I got to go for it now. Uh, and I did. And I got, not only did I get a really nice recording of the Crepe Myrtle, um, I happened to also catch a really big branch falling off of my neighbor's tree across the street with like a really big thump <laughs> and um, nice. and the ice kind of like shaking off of it. It was very... Uh, very serendipitous uh, recording. And also, um, it was the first time I had seen a branch come down because of ice and then uh, 
uh, a big characteristic of this last winter storm was that um, we had a ton of tree damage around town because mm. the ice froze in such a way that it weighed down um, that it weighed down the branches and a lot of them broke off and um, and that's actually another missed recording opportunity because uh, I remember uh, I was talking to my mom about this afterwards and she said that one morning she got up at like four in the morning and she couldn't go back to sleep because every few seconds she would hear another branch come down oh wow and i was like that's concerning and also i wish i was there to record <laughs> it <laughs> yeah that's that's always the the problem yeah maybe we can we can give that to um new people starting out as a advice of sorts if you hear something interesting um just record it right now because you might not get yeah. the chance again yeah um, and and actually like as uh now that i'm recording every day uh that the nice thing is that because i have to record every day now i tend to do that you know because mm -hmm. if i'm If I'm encountering a good sound, I'm like, all right, now's the time. I got to record today, so let's let's get this now. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a really good, yeah, really good way of utilizing that. Yeah, maybe besides uh, of that, um, do you have any other tips for people starting just out? You'd like to share maybe something you found m made your life easier or made your job easier, or something sure. you think maybe people don't think about it at the beginning. Um. Yeah. I mean. Oh, gosh, I could think of so many things. Um, but I would say that, like, a, a really important thing is trying to find the balance between improving yourself as an artist, um, as a sound designer, as a musician, whatever, whatever particular sphere that you're focusing on. You need to find the right balance between um, improving your skills And doing the networking part and developing the soft skills and mm. meeting people. Um, you know, I, I think that it can be easy for someone to fall too hard into one or the other. You know, like maybe they're out networking all the time, but they're not improving their skills. Or maybe they are holed up at home improving their skills all the time, but they don't know anyone. Um, I think it's really important uh Both are equally important and you got to do both, you know, like you could be the best sound designer in the world, but if nobody's, if nobody can vouch for how you are to work with, then, yeah. you know, that, that's really concerning. I think, I think one of the, one of the reasons that when I got laid off at every, that I was able to bounce back as quickly as I was, um, was because I went to the local game audio meetups every night. Uh, not every night. <laughs> We did not have them every night. That would be a lot of meetups. Oof. Um, every uh, month that they occurred, you know, I was, um, I knew and still know a lot of the audio people in the local scene and they knew me. So when I got laid off, uh, I had people reaching out and, um, you know, I was able to work some brief contracts before I settled at my current gig at Arcane, which I also got because uh, my my friend Ben Crossbones hired me on because he knew me from the local meetups. Uh, but he wouldn't have bothered if my skills weren't up to snuff either, right? Yeah. Um, 
So, you know, both of those things are really important. People knowing you is important. People knowing that you're like chill and um, potentially easy to work with. Because the that is something that is really, really so, so, so important because game development is a gigantic team project, you know? There's no I in game development. It's a mm, team yeah. effort. And so being able to uh, play nice with other people, being able to adapt to new situations, being able to, like, knowing uh, when to not take something personally versus when to take mm -hmm. something personally, that's a really important skill to know. Usually it... Usually you shouldn't take it personally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's always a problem with artistic stuff, um, learning mm -hmm. to to interpret and, uh, yeah, um, just deal with critic. Um, because yeah, it's, exactly. It's, like Yeah, as you said, most of the time or almost all of the time, it's about the result and about the thing you want to build. And it's mm -hmm. not like you are doing a bad job. It's just we, we all want this to be the best thing it can be. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, like a, th a thing that really helped me early on was just understanding that iteration is absolutely normal. Mm -hmm. It is really unusual for anybody, regardless of skill level, to get it perfectly right on the first try. Absolutely. Yeah. In, in fact, like my first step when I'm designing a new sound for the game, I want to get whatever first draft, whatever rough draft I have. I like I don't even I almost I mean, obviously, I'm going to I'm going to try You know, I'm, I'm not going to just, like, throw some garbage together. <laughs> But um, I'm going to do, like, a, a rough idea, and then I'm going to get that in game, and then I'm going to start iterating on that. Because once you get yep. a sound in the game, once you start understanding, like, the full context that it's going to be playing in, that changes everything. I have wasted so much time, like, polishing off a sound in, in the DAW that I thought was going to be absolutely perfect. And mm. then I get it, and it, it's not a bad sound on its own. But then I get it in game and I'm like, oh no, I, I did this completely wrong. This sounds terrible. Yeah, yeah. That's very good advice. Yeah, that's also something I've learned um, fortunately early on because I, I always like to do um, rough sketches and get mm -hmm. the idea done. And as you said, I'm, I'm, I'm coming from an IT programming background myself, so I'm used to like doing quick iterations and stuff like that. So that's something I, I implemented early on and I think it's always it's always nice. And sometimes even those, those sketches um, just get a little bit of polish and stay in, but sometimes there's like seven revisions and that's also fine. Um, yeah, most of the time know, it's more revisions, are... but uh, yeah. yeah. But you have to get it in context, especially for games, um, because Absolutely. it's not like a linear medium. You have it in different environments and yeah. You have to see it in context with other sounds. Totally, yeah. yeah. And, okay. and you know, sometimes uh, you make a sound and you're like, this is perfect. This mm -hmm. is a great sound. It works great in context. But because game development involves, um, you know, systems interacting with other systems, sometimes, uh, sometimes you're like, oh, yes, this is perfect. And then uh, some new element, some new system is introduced <sighs> mm -hmm. And then you have to go back and maybe add something or or iterate because yeah. uh, because the context has changed. Yeah, absolutely, and it competes maybe with other sounds or, or other things. Um, mm -hmm. But the good thing is, or at least that's what I always think about when something doesn't get used. I'm always like, okay, but I made a good sound, so it goes in my library. Maybe it's of use any day. So it's almost never like worked on in vain because either oh, yeah. you use it in your library or even if you if you can't use it at all you've learned something <laughs> you've learned how to make exactly. something really yeah 
Like the the act of making something, even if it uh, doesn't end up in the game in the end, uh, you still made the thing, and that still made you better. Absolutely, yeah. Learn to love the process. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, as I said in the beginning, um, thanks for coming on, and I think we're almost out of time. So um, just maybe as a as a last thing, do you want to plug anything? Um, talk about anything that's important to you? Any project? Anything? The floor sure. is yours. Yeah, um, I would like to give a little shout out to Redfall. We're working very hard on it. Um, we have a really, really great team. Comes out on May second. Uh, I am <laughs> I'm not in a position where I can like say anything super specific about Redfall, but what I can say is that I'm having a lot of fun working on it, and uh, when I play it, I also have a lot of fun. So um, I hope that anybody listening who happens to have a Game Pass subscription or a Steam account or is a fan of Immersive Sims, uh, I hope that they will check it out. I most definitely will. It's always uh, already on my wish list. So. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> okay. Okay, thanks again and have a nice night. Or of day. course. Thank you. <laughs> Looking for more audio-related podcasts to listen to? We're part of the Audio Podcast Alliance, featuring a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. Be sure to hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting on patreon.com slash fieldandfoley or ko-fi.com slash fieldandfoley, where you gain early access to episodes in lossless format and can submit questions for our guests. Thank you for listening.